The other day, I saw my neighbor working very hard, taking a big stump out of a dead tree in his front yard. And then there was this massive hole, and he went out and bought a new tree. And as he was putting it in the hole, I told him, make sure there's plenty of water for several days in that hole because of the roots. Worship is the root of our faith. And we pray that today, with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, our roots of our faith are watered through the gift of worship, the singing of hymns, the proclamation of the word, and prayer. Come, let your roots be strengthened and nourished. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to actually indwell us and open up our hearts to that which you would have us receive on this day. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. We are a lectionary church. I know that you know that at some level, but what that means is, is that we do honor the common lectionary. So that there's a group of people, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, Episcopalians, who decide on the scripture that's going to be read. And over a three-year period, we, have, we cover everything. And it's a discipline, and it's a wonderful thing. And most of the time, we do follow the common lectionary but today, I thought, you've got to be kidding. The crucifixion? Really? And I thought to myself, I don't want to preach on this. Because what it is, is about what Jesus says on the cross. It's the first part of what he says on the cross. And it, this is the, in the midst of the full awfulness of the crucifixion. And as I just told you, my first reaction was, we don't want to look at this. Not now, not today. Because this is really a season to be glad and a season to be thankful and not depressed. And we are actually beginning to think about the holidays and some of us are in earnest praying for peace. Praying that our spirits can seek and receive peace. Not to be stirred up by images of the cross, which kind of invite vicarious suffering. Not today. There's happiness today. I can't tell you how happy I am because of this. There are other activities that took place over the weekend where there have been long preparation and wonderful results. This is a time of happiness. But then I realized that the words he uttered from the cross meant for all people throughout time that the spirit of these words beckoned to us to a deep and abiding place where we need forgiveness and we need to forgive. And I thought that message is timeless. And forgiveness is not a bad subject right before the holidays. In fact, this subject is just in time for the holidays. He was suffering Christ in every way a human being can suffer. But I'm not going to go into the gruesome details because it's just not Good Friday. But what we need to know, his suffering was at the hands of all the people not just the obvious. In this cruel situation, he said words that many believed, including me, that that is God on the cross. 
these words could be uttered by no one but God. He said the impossible, psychologically and mentally impossible. Words that transcend the need for revenge. Words that transcend the need to get even. For those who hurt others to pay. What he prayed to God referred to the deliberate, cruel tormentors, the thoughtless ones who just sort of stand by, the unintentionally cruel, the casually hurtful, the careless offenders, in other words, us. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And these are words Jesus was born to say. Who else but God could even think this way, much less say it at the height of personal agony? A spiritual dynamic occurs with Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And here's the dynamic. With those words, every last one of us become worth the effort, the effort of his life and death and resurrection. In proclaiming that we're all forgivable, he gives us human dignity that has never been bestowed like that in the history of the earth, human dignity that we will take with us forever carrying it forward. Whether we accept this or not is another subject. His existence, Christ's existence, shows us, tells us that we are the creation's best effort. A human being is of immeasurable worth. Throughout history, we observe the disregard of human beings. There's the obvious things like slavery, like the Holocaust. But in our current age... There's a pervasive lack of respect for humanity. It's kind of in the air. And because of things like reality TV, and I really debated not whether or not to tell you this. I think I have before. But periodically, I watch this horrible show called Beverly Hills Housewives. Because... I used to live five minutes from Beverly Hills, and I see all these familiar areas. And I know these women, at least some of their friends and relatives. The show features blaming, name-calling, crude language, inability to communicate, people grabbing on to catch-all phrases that they use again and again and again, like being thrown under the bus. That seems to be a popular one. And part of the reason we are drawn to these shows, if we are at all, and I really know that most of you aren't, it's just your pastor who seems to like these, is that we know we're not as bad as they are. But the actual character of the viewer is tested in the watching. And you can only take about 10 minutes of it before you get sick and have to leave because your spirit says, Ew, Father, forgive us all, for we know not what we're doing. And what I'm going to say next ties into this, but it might not seem to at first. We don't talk about politics in worship. And that is out of respect for humanity. And the real reason that we do not talk about politics in worship is that we simply love each other too much. 
We love Christ. But it has become apparent that just under the surface there is this rage. And I actually think, in my opinion, that the rage is a consensus that people have, not a division, a consensus, because the rage has to do with the fact that the basic dignity of humanity is at stake because people are called names, judged, blamed, just for having beliefs. I don't care what the beliefs are. People have the right to believe whatever they want to believe. They have the right and need to have those beliefs with human dignity. So Jesus had a lot to say about blame. My point is here, we might not look at reality TV shows, but we can still blame in other areas of our lives. And that's the culture. That's not Christ. Jesus had a lot to say about blame. Look at the speck in your own eye before you judge and ascertain a person's guilt. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. And over 2,000 years later, Jesus hangs in there with us and is praying for us still. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And in the context of the gospel, no one had the courage to stop an innocent man's death. History did have to play out. And prophecy had to be fulfilled. And Jesus was born to die in this way. But what is really interesting here is that humanity could be counted on to not come through. And on that day, passivity and going along with the crowd and fear and anger won. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But we know the rest of the story. We know that with the resurrected Christ, we can be counted on. About, I don't know, eight years ago or so, I began to have this overwhelming feeling that we have to be connected with the city of Baltimore. That place has to be somehow better because we as a church exist. And it was rough going. People in this congregation left Baltimore. And the thing that was most astounding to me is that people saw Baltimore as not local. It's 18 miles away. We are affected by this city. So I went to a church, an African-American church, and said, there's a part of our congregation that needs to give to this church. I'm just here as their spiritual leader. And they said, you can't be counted on that you will not come through. We've already had disappointing things from the suburbs, and it just is not going to happen. So then after a while, I went to Knox Presbyterian. After trying for years to get some contact, you have no idea. And, it, and Reverend Tanya Wade was there, and it was like all of the people were there at the right time, at the right moment, and I left promising to ask our session if we could using their contacts in their church, give 400 boxes to people in need in the city. And the session, of course, agreed because they can be counted on. And yesterday, a 1,000 boxes, a couple hundred of them for Harford County, 
but still a lot of boxes is going into the city because God's people can be counted upon. And the boxes, all of this, because a leadership rose up in our church. I didn't do this. A leadership rose up in our church that could be counted upon. And I'm thinking as we're reading the scripture today, yeah, there was a time, a pre-Christian time, but as long as the element of Christ is in there somewhere, somehow, fueling the imaginations, bringing the people together, we can be a people who can be counted upon. What is interesting is that the biggest, most courageous thing that we do as a people is actually have the courage in leading to apply his words to ourselves. And that's when it happens. When we say, Father, forgive me, for I don't know what I'm doing. We all fall short, Romans says. But even with a little humility in our spirits, we can be used by God. If we can utter the words, Father, forgive me, we are now in, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's a mind-boggling position to be used. Knowing we are forgiven, we can accomplish the impossible. And it's not to pat ourselves on the back. This has to do with Christ's power. We can love the unlovable. We can be transformed. And one way that we are transformed with the love of Christ is how we approach and receive forgiveness. The world will tell you you may be able to forgive, but you're not going to be able to forget. And I actually know people, and maybe you do too, who say with pride, I have forgiven, but I have not forgotten. And when Christ forgives, he forgets. As far as the east is from the west, he forgets. But the fact is, we're not Christ. But one indication that his spirit is in us is that we do actually forget. Because we want to. Once we are aware of the extent of being forgiven ourselves, we can extend forgiveness. And it's not like we suddenly have amnesia. It's more like I as we walk along with Christ and receive his forgiveness, you will recall things that maybe gave you pain at one time, and it's just sort of a blur, and you don't want to go there. It's not that you can't. It's that the Spirit says to you, you don't want to, you don't need to, you are forgiven. We come to the place where we have no desire to remember offenses against us and believe you and me, all of us have had offenses against us. The gratitude we have is in the fact, the actual fact, that God did answer the prayer on the cross. Forgiveness. So as we approach the holidays, we can be grateful we can be thankful that the forgiveness is real, that the cross really happened. And let us prepare to give thanks for the advent of the birth of the baby as ones who know the triumphant end of the story. 
We're the ones that can give thanks. Let us pray. There's a reason that one of the last words that you said in your lifetime, dear and precious Lord, was about forgiveness. That hangs us all up. Help us to receive your forgiveness. As we approach a season where sometimes the need for that is all over the place. We come to you now thanking you, receiving your love and grace. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.